0: This is The Global Gambit. In The Global Gambit podcast, we focus on the big picture of geopolitics, foreign policy and current affairs. Each episode, your host, Piotr Kurzin, brings you interviews and panels with top-tier academics, journalists and policymakers, seeking to make sense of the news, go beyond what's presented to us and question and critically analyse these matters. This is The Global Gambit.
1: Greetings and welcome back to another installment of The Global Gambit. Uh, I'm your host, Piotr. I'm very excited to be uh, hosting this episode, which centers around Turkey and a whole lot of geopolitical development that Turkey actively influences or equally is being influenced by. As usual, this episode will consist of a 30 to 40 minute conversation between myself and my guest, followed by about 15 to 20 minutes of the second half of this podcast episode with a live audience Q&A, this time coming to you from Twitter Spaces. Uh, As the Ukraine war has continued well into the summer with no signs of notable change other than heavy casualties and arguably some incremental Russian gains uh, in the hands, the role of Turkey has been uh, a very uh, long observed and and notable one. As a state, Turkey has arguably disproportionately an influential role in a lot of um, geopolitics, but particularly in the Eurasian theatre, in some ways merely down to its geography and uh, therefore its ability to dictate various geopolitical dimensions. On the one hand, Turkey is aligned with, shall we say, Western-orientated stances, such as by closing the Bosra Strait to the Russian military vessels in the spring, or by supplying drones to the Ukrainian resistance effort. Yet on the other hand, Turkey has not followed through with imposing sanctions that many of the NATO alliance have. And they continue to um, allow oligarchs and uh, other questionable members of the Kremlin to to seek refuge or to at least uh, access the, the Turkish state. And then there have obviously been recently the developments of NATO membership concerning Sweden and Finland, and Turkey's choice initially to block them in May to be based on primarily what it argued was national security concerns. Such actions and behaviours have made many quite wary of Turkey's positioning, and that what their intentions specifically under the Erdogan regime are, as he faces intensifying domestic conditions and the um, int- upcoming election of 2023. So these themes are what we're going to be dissecting in this episode with the help of a um, great guest and uh, hopefully I can say friend of mine, Emre Uzlu. Emre is a prominent voice as an academic and a journalist on demo- uh, domestic Turkish politics, Kurdish issues, uh, the role of terrorism associated with Turkey and the Turkish state. But moreover, it's foreign policy and positioning in the international system. Furthermore, he is an activist and a very vocal critic of the Erdogan regime, which has actually resulted in him being uh, designated on what the turkish ministry of interior designates the blue category in 2015 uh as a as a terrorist Emre, my friend it is a pleasure this has been a long time in the pipeline in coming uh, and i'm very glad to 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 have you with us so welcome the thing i'd be very keen to hear from you uh, as a start is could you take us through maybe a little bit more of the, for the our listeners the backdrop to, to the situation as it is now what turkey as i say in the build up to the war was um Nuanced in its position, so we say, but also as the war has evolved since so i I'd would, would very much appreciate hearing from your perspective I
2: think uh thank you uh, Piotr for the invitation and uh thanks everyone uh, for listening to us um well let's start with 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 uh, w- with one assumption I think Turkey has uh misread the world and especially united states great power since uh, the arab, arab Britain, between we need to we need to understand Turkey's position pre to Arab Spring, post-Arab Spring, and now Ukraine war. And and Turkey has been shifting in between. And uh, especially, I think, with the recent crisis, we need to understand Turkey's perspective on the world after Arab Spring and uh, because it, it's uh, significant in in terms of its domestic challenge as well as its international relations, then uh, Ukraine invasion on Ukraine has again forced Turkey to shift or or, or find its balance again. After Arab Spring, and Turkey, especially Erdogan, misread the, the, the world, especially the, the Western world, thinking that the influence of the Western world has been diminishing and China has been rising and Russia has been uh, uh, dominating, especially Russia's operations in Syria. And the Western lack of interest in Syria and, and the Middle East uh, made Erdogan to think that, well, we should not really Focus on 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 uh, Europe, and we should fo- start focusing on the East and China and Russia, getting closer to there. Therefore, he had uh, he has chosen to be on the side or getting closer to Russia and China. However, this endeavor has ended tragically. I think I would I would say uh, for two in two areas, especially in domestic area, Turkey's economy has been plummeting since then. And Turkey's uh, foreign policy has been a, a major failure. And now, with the in, uh, Russian invasion of Russia uh, of Ukraine, Turkey has gained another uh, momentum. Yet uh, Erdogan has built a mistrust relationship between West and and Turkey, and he had chosen to follow transactional relations when it comes to foreign policy rather than um, normative uh, democratic-based foreign policies. And therefore, it is very difficult for Erdogan to come back again and establish trustworthy relationship between the West and Turkey. However, regional realities force Turkey to choose a side. And I think what is happening today in Madrid as we speak, uh, Erdogan and Biden has been speaking, uh, meeting to discuss the future of Turkey, perhaps in the region. And Turkey, Erdogan has been trying to get closer to NATO while getting closer, of course. Again, Turkey, uh, Erdogan has been uh, using his best uh, strategy uh, as a horse trader to try to get as much as he can. Uh, but I. Think with the recent uh, agreement between uh finland sweden and turkey i would say he gets very little despite the fact that he had um he made a lot of noise and fuss but he gets very little
1: fascinating um really appreciate that it's succinct but pretty in depth um you're you're foreshadowing a couple of questions that i have for you upcoming but the thing i i want to I want to dive straight into the main focus, which is obviously at the time of recording the the opposition from the Turkish government, from the Erdogan regime uh, to Swedish and Finnish um, membership has been dropped. And we saw the formal declaration or the joint declaration between the countries uh, released. And, you know, there were some interesting things in that. Now, I would be very interested to hear from you a little bit more about what exactly were Turkey's initial motivations from this. But equally, what what is it now that do you think Erdogan has got? What what products? What concessions have been got? I personally don't believe that isolating Turkey or sort of treating it in a in a hardline sense would be of benefit to the overall national security, uh, uh, European security order, because Turkey is such a um, you know integral member for better or for worse. If we isolated it; that would more likely encourage it to pivot eastwards. Uh, And we could see this growing sort of concept of neo-Ottomanism growing in parts of, say, the Horn of Africa and also them maybe getting closer with sort of some of the other autocratic states. You know, I I, I think the other thing that I think is important to frame this question is just that just because Sweden and Finland join... Or have been invited by NATO doesn't mean that it's a, it's a done deal. They have to work on semantics terms. And, and, and there are many areas that we could see potential uh, differences, like they could potentially follow Norway in how that they don't. Norway, for example, doesn't allow nuclear weaponry to be um, uh, put on uh, in, within its borders. There's no permanent troops position there. And there's also a limitation to the kind of military exercises that we see. So variations in terms of what amount of alignment the the Swedes and the Finns have towards the membership just because they're in membership. Um, but, yeah, just the, just framing that question, what do you think really were the motivations for this um, for Turkey? And, and and what do we think that they've been given?
2: Well, uh- in order to understand what Erdogan was trying to achieve with the, with this, we need to understand Erdogan's in general outlook and his priorities, expectations, strategies, and what he has achieved. Priority-wise, he wanted to block a Kurdish corridor, what he called it, to reach the Kurds, to, to be able to reach between between Iran and and, and Mediterranean Sea, and therefore he, wanted, he has invaded Syria. And he is now threatening to invade another portion of of, of Syria in order to block this. That's a, a major security concern for Turkey. And he wanted to use this card to 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 at least get green light for for what he has been doing in in, in Syria. And also he also uh, established a new regime since two thousand seventeen, and he wanted to establish a stability of his regime and and to be honest, recognized and fully supported by by, by the and uh, and and in general, he w- of course wanted to have a uh, regional supremacy. However, uh, Turkey's capacity is, although in recent years this has been uh, has been increasing, it's very limited. Uh, and and in terms of economics, in terms of military operations, and in terms of intellectual uh, in, in, in uh, human capital, it is very uh, limited to be, be the regional player uh, and and win perhaps it's competition uh, with Syria, with Iran and, and, and Saudi Arabia however turkey's great advantage is is that the turkey is in the in, in the nato and candidate still candidate for European Union, and Turkey has uh, has potential to develop this relationship. I, don't, I I fully agree with you that Turkey should never leave NATO and should be a part of European, Euro, greater European security alliance, and, and 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 Turkey should not be punished. Uh, today Erdogan regime I know we we do not agree what he has been doing, but Turkey is not Erdogan, and Turkey is bigger than Erdogan, therefore the NATO members should look forward and I think should not punish Turkey for that that that, that, that I understand what Erdogan wants from from NATO is 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 to especially for domestic purposes he wanted to score a win from from Europe because he's been antagonizing his base and he's been simply uh, pushing propaganda of west will come and and remove us from from the power now he scored a victory over, over the West, according to his narrative that when I see Turkish media controlled by Erdogan, and he said, well, it's an absolute, they, they spin this as an absolute uh, victory, which I think he got what he wants from, from, from NATO, but in reality, he did not get. But what is more important, more important for Erdogan regime is to lift the arms uh, embargo from Sweden. I'm assuming that especially Erdogan has been selling uh, drones and he his uh, son-in-law owned this company. He does not want Europe and the West and NATO members to blockade any portion of this uh, lucrative business. That is number one priority. And also... Because of this embargo and uh, these companies, and Turkish defense industry has been struggling to uh, get some materials, and he wanted to lift. I think, uh, realistically speaking, and this agreement uh, just gave him uh, what he wants, and he uh, the agreement specifically stated this. I think this is a major achievement that he has gained in this in 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 this agreement so all in all he wanted to have this this influence and this uh weapon trade. i think he 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 got it
1: very interesting and quite some revealing points there um
2: no, I, 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 I was looking through the,
1: the joint declaration myself and, and I was listening to a couple of other um, discussion points on this. From what I could ascertain, there was sort of a mixture of feelings in terms of sort of at face value. It looks like quite a lot has been given or quite a lot of movement on one side. But then you then read between the lines. It's sort of like, well, not necessarily, you know, maybe it's a lot of sort of power play or word play. Um, and, and, and as to how much this will actually be felt in a, in a tangible sense. Uh, remains to be seen. I mean, uh, I think it's important as again, again, any process to join the EU to join NATO is not an overnight process. It is longly drawn out. And to be fair, the interoperability and streamlinedness that the uh, that the Swedes and the Finns have already with NATO, I think, is is pretty apparent. I mean, the Finns are a very well, both are very military capable, but the the military commitment um, of the Finns towards their defence of their country. It's very powerful, and, and and you know Sweden joining an alliance for the first time in more two hundred years or so is, is is unprecedented. But just to this point, a little bit more about Erdogan because I think it's incredibly. It's impossible, really, to de- to de- detach him from, say, the um, uh, the Turkish state and its foreign policy, because his personal perceptions are arguably the foreign policy. Is you know, it's, it's it, Turkey's positioning has been very nuanced. Tried to maximise, I think Erdogan has tried to play both sides, but try to maximise. And so, I just wanted to unpack a little bit from you, a bit more this this role as a peace broker that Turkey has been having. You know, we we had the Istanbul peace. Talks, I guess you would call them, the Istanbul peace talks. Uh, well, a couple of months ago, and nothing has really resulted from that. But just just from your perspective as a, as an onlooker, as someone who you know is is very critical of the Erdogan regime, what do you think about the peace talks? Are they any fruition? Oh, and also I should say, because Israel obviously now with their internal domestic situation deteriorating, they're not going to be a, a, a counterbalance for peace talks as well. So it leaves sort of Turkey seemingly. Um, a lot of this is with an asterisk attached. What do you think uh, about the peace-talking role? That-
2: well, I don't know how much of that peace-talking is a show for domestic audiences and how much of of, of it is, is is a realistic uh, peace-talk. I would argue that it was more or less is a, a domestic show. And know, knowing that both sides, actually, Russia... And Ukraine, uh, knew that they, you know, it it is not going to produce any, any result. And Erdogan also knew that uh, the, 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 the peace talk was not produced any result. However, the show itself. Has has a meaning for domestic and international audience. Don't forget, Erdogan wanted to uh, Erdogan wanted to avoid Western criticism when Erdogan is not shutting down uh, its uh, its uh, airbase to, to to Russian uh, Russian airliners and it's not putting embargo on Russia and therefore uh, receiving criticism. Therefore, Erdogan had another option. The only option was was seem to at least generate uh, so called. Peace talks, so that Erdogan would 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 remain as 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 neutral, and I think it's it's a it's the great term in international relations, Piotr, It's hedging, right? The Erdogan has been hedging when it comes to Turkey's uh, relations with Russia, and uh, since two thousand sixteen, and Erdogan has been, has not been putting all the eggs. And while hedging, get too close to Russia. But, but 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 again, at the beginning, I said the Russian invasion in, in, in Ukraine has changed uh, that. I think that peace talk itself was a part of that hedging uh, strategy that Turkey has been following. but when it comes to Erdogan personality, Erdogan. Is 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 uh, himself. I think if we wanted to do uh, without understanding Erdogan and, and Erdogan's psyche, we cannot understand really Turkey's foreign policy. As you pointed out, Erdogan is the foreign policy, Erdogan is the domestic politics. And he has been he has haunted by the glory of Ottoman Empire, anti-Western uh, paranoia, and personal ego. This is this is the man that he considered himself as the caliphate and new caliphate or or reviving uh, revival uh, reviving ottoman empire and, and 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 leader and at the same time he has uh, this anti western paranoia and his uh, cycles especially especially Islamic uh, circles has been uh, really a center of this anti western yeah, and and his people and his supporter has been comparing him with the Ottoman Sultan Abdul Hamid II, and he himself was a paranoid uh, sultan. And 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 he Erdogan, despite his his ignorance in on many fields, and he is such a such an egoistic or or such a has a such high ego that he thinks that he knows economy he knows international relations and he does not really trust on 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 capable and intellectual intellectuals around him when you look at his, his his circle there are a bunch of 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 little guys uh and and he never trust fully trust those intellectuals and in fact well you we can we can argue that he's he's, he's he hates intellectuals and therefore Turkey's foreign policy is, is is shaped by this ego and this personality at one point he wanted to he, he really think that he can uh, bring the ottoman glory back and influence the region especially when turkey's economy was doing good but when he faced a major challenge especially after the coup attempt in 2016 we have seen that his anti Western paranoia has been on 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 the rise, and he's been acting on on that. Uh, and, and recently, with the collapse of economy and uh, and collapse of foreign policy, his ego is the one that determines. I don't think he listens, uh, Turkish foreign minister. I don't think he listens any any uh, reasonable, sensible uh, advisor that he has. And therefore, uh, Turkey, is been, has been, uh, uh, Turkey has been has uh, been Turkey has been going uh, not so good in in uh, recent uh, recent years.
1: Thank you very much for that again, Emre. Um, extensive answers, but still managing to keep them succinct. Um, uh, yeah, no, absolutely fantastic points. So, building on this, then um, Emre, I want to ask you specifically about Erdogan, the statesman himself although I don't really think of him really as a statesman, but the strong man himself. And as you alluded to earlier, there's a lot of domestic pressure. And uh, frankly, for me, he's the epitome of a despot, a a strong man who uh, attempts to utilize domestic policy as a way to stabilize, sorry, foreign policy as a way to destabilize his domestic situation and standing via the manipulation of, say, economic policy or, you know, rather outlandish foreign policy, as we can see through the use of arm exports and so on. But, you know, and or, or say like ergonomics, right? That goes in the face of any conventional economic policy that we are aware of. Right? Very, very interesting stuff. But what is it about him specifically? Uh, could you unpack a little bit more his psyche as an individual, particularly in the context of Ukraine and what he's been doing vis a vis sending drones to Ukraine but not imposing sanctions? Uh, kind of turning off the the, you know switching off the boss straits to the russians what is his psyche and then as a little tag-on question to that what about his relationship with putin there's a lot of questions about that and whether I mean the two men are not on the best terms, but there's still a degree of admiration or at least respect I think between the two for what they attempt to do within their respective states.
2: Well, if you ask this question in a, in the in the following way, I would answer it is it's easily what Erdogan cannot really give up, and two things: money and power. Erdogan for Erdogan. He can sell anything and everything for 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 money, for his personal uh, wealth as well as his his regime, and and power that he cannot he, uh, give up. I think everything that Erdogan has been doing domestically and internationally has been uh, built around these two things. For instance, when the United States uh, was uh, putting embargo on Iran back in two thousand nine and two thousand eleven. And Erdogan found a way, by the way, uh, US-Turkey relations was, at, I would say, at the highest point at this time, found a way to bypass uh, the embargo. Now, with the situation in, in, in Ukraine, Erdogan again find a way, trying to find a way to bypass the embargo. It's not for Turkey's security, but it is for the money that he, he's been hoping to get from Russian oligarchs and perhaps Putin, at the same time, he's not going to break the ties that, uh, with, with the West. And in terms of power, and he has, been, he has been using since 1994, this man is on the podium and we have been following, and, and he has no moral ground when it comes to power. And he is an absolutely uh, a realist, and I think Machiavelli <laughs> would, would admire him. And when it comes to power and managing power, and he can do anything, he can he can uh, go on the side of Putin and on the side of side of uh, Joe Biden overnight, and he has no problem whatsoever. The most recent example of this is the invitation of uh, Saudi Prince uh, King Salman MBS to to Istanbul. And he has been uh, saying every negative uh, things about this guy after the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. And when it comes to uh, recent economic crisis, and he invited uh, MBS to Ankara, and he hosted him the MBS as as if the king of Saudi Arabia and even he has done an extraordinary a protocol to, to 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 welcome him. So therefore, if we are going to dissect Erdogan, we need to focus on the money. For instance, again, another example with the money, and he's been using refugee card against European Union. On the one hand, he's been calling those refugees my Muslim brothers and so on and so forth. But in reality, he uh, his his real real incentive is money. As one uh, foreign diplomat put. In, back in back in 2013 i believe uh, erdoğan believes in god but prays in 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 money that is that is what erdoğan is and if he doesn't see that money is not going to come anywhere uh, or 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 the money that is draining is 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 uh, is not in, in in the in in the circle he would not he would not follow therefore erdoğan does not have any any normative base to follow, and if you wanted to make peace with him, give him money. If you wanted to uh, fight with him, don't give him money. That's that. That's who he who he is. And I think his foreign policy in recent years has been shaped with this very idea of money and power. <laughs>
1: <laughs> money conquers all. Money talks. Um, sure, I can appreciate that. It's not exactly. I, I don't think. Well, I mean, he is a complex character in that regard. But I, I think it's not exactly. Difficult to understand the um, the prevailing drivers of the way he acts, but going back to this specific thing of 2023, there is a a growing I think appreciation for Erdogan potentially facing a, a proper bit of tension, and and you know he's he's undertaken as many efforts as possible to uh, decompose, deconstruct the. Uh, institutional framework the demo, the democratic institutions of the country to consolidate power within himself and what has inspired in some ways you know the actions of Viktor Orbán in Hungary or the um, law and justice party or pis party uh, as they're known in polish uh, in Poland so what do we think about 2023 uh, and what relations that could have for um, Turkey's relationship with NATO, um, the European continent more broadly, not specifically the EU. That's a deeper question to, to say for another time. I think. Curious what you think about uh, 2023.
2: If you ask many uh, Turkey expert, they would say, well, he's going to lose in, in in 2023. But I have a doubt about it. There are two reasons why I have a doubt about it. Well, I am w- uh, one of those uh, people who comes from 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 the family background of uh, that is close to erdogan i in fact i was my father was supporting erdogan and and i once was supporting erdogan you know it and therefore i think i know the conservative uh circles of turkish turkish people and turkish media and the opposition opposition parties yes economy is 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 very bad and they are heavily relying on this economic failure in turkey and thinking that conservative circles would uh Ultimately give up in Erdogan and, and, and would not support them. However, conservative circles in Turkey do not think along the, the line. First, they do not trust the opposition party that they really can take care of economy and and uplift Turkey from this uh, dire situation. And therefore, many of them still think that Erdogan can do something about it and and, uh, bring magic to it. And therefore, they follow their hunch on on, on this. And the second, uh, given the fact that Erdogan is a total uh, dictator, I don't think there is any dictator that left a power with election results. And I don't see why would Erdogan leave power. And I think he has a power to rig election before, and he has capacity, and he has institutions to rig elections. So on the one hand, yes, there are still strong base in the conservative cycles of, of, of Turkish Turkish uh, community, and on the other hand, he still has uh, has power to rig the election. Therefore, I am afraid that he is going to stay in power.
1: Interesting. Um, that's quite enlightening. Actually, I wasn't expecting you to have quite that position. But yeah, it's it's you know, I I, I long for a moment when maybe uh, Turkey might have the opportunity to have an alternative leader and 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 rekindle some of that. <laughs> or at least reverse this democratic backsliding which the country continues to suffer from. Um, the last question I want to have with you before we open it up to a few of our audience is the Turkish-Russian relationship, I think, is one of the most complex, but arguably even unique, you could call it, uh, in the world. You've, you've heard me when we've discussed this in the past, my, my positioning on it, which is that I think there's a large amount of overlap or mirroring the two have in terms of their interests, their approaches. The regions in which they operate, I think the Caucasus and Nagorno-Karabakh think um Syria think the horn of africa arguably with the Russian Wagner group now in sort of Libya and also heading down towards sort of uh paying a little bit of attention to Ethiopian Sudan and the coup there but also Turkey's positioning in Somalia with their uh the the center the space center that they have there and just outside Mogadishu no I I term it as being co- competitively cooperative this is something that I think Foreign Policy magazine has also echoed what do you what do you feel about the relationship of Russia to Turkey in the broader sphere of things, particularly since, say, 2015 and the jet that was shot down by the Turks. And, uh, you know, that I think was the one of the largest nails in the coffin, so to speak. But now with this, with this war and Russia really struggling in many ways to, 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 to follow through on what we all expected to be a bit of a steamrolling of Ukraine. What do you think about the Russian Turkish relationship now? And depending upon how the war goes, um, whether or not it drags on for months or if we see some kind of capitulation by Ukraine or some kind of revelation, euphoric moment from Putin that is like, oh, I need to change actually tax. What do you think that the Turkey relationship is going to be in the next sort of six months.
2: Well, I don't know what is going to be in six months. I think what will determine is that, uh, that Putin's position. I think Turkey wanted to wanted to keep maintain this relationship that has uh, it ex- established that not not to bother Russia and not to bother uh, the West and try to get uh, oligarch money as much as they can and and try to get Russian tourists and Russian. Russian uh energy and, 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 and export Russia as much as as much as much as they can, whether uh how will the the, the war is going to be in next six months, what types of pressure that the West will, will put on Turkey to take actual side? And today I saw somewhere in in, in, in the media and Erdogan has indicated that, well, he is going to to be on board with NATO more, therefore, he might, he might little bit cool down with Russia in next six months. And another, uh, uh, another indicator of this that Erdogan was hiding how many drones uh, that his son-in-law sold to Ukraine. And in fact, they at the beginning of the war, in fact, they said, well, we sign a deal between. Ukraine and and Bayraktar drone before the war. Therefore, we have to keep our our promise and we uh, and, and commitment. That is why we were selling uh, drones. The agreement between Ukraine and Bayraktar drone was about twenty four uh, drones TB two, and but yesterday they revealed that actually they sold fifty drones, and of course more than more than what uh, what, what they promised, and therefore. I think they start playing their card openly. In fact, uh, recently uh, Bayraktar announced that uh, they gave three drones for free because Ukrainian people was simply campaigning to buy more drones and so-called, this as a social uh, project, whatever. Uh, They they, uh, gave three drones uh, together uh, for, for free. So in a way, they start playing their card openly and and showing their support uh Ukraine openly which indicates that uh, Turkey might uh, take uh, get closer to NATO in next 6 months of course there are many unknown unknowns in the region but i would say that in next 6 months Turkey will uh try to cool cool its relations try to distance a little bit from from Russia when it comes to security but again uh, one one big one big obstacle before Erdogan. Erdogan in 2016 had an agreement with Eurasians in military and intelligence agencies, and I don't know whether Turkey uh, they would simply pressure on Erdogan to keep its uh, warm tie with with Russia. We don't know the security situation, and he's been trying to. Uh, remove those Eurasianists or or uh, and their influence in the security bureaucracy, but we don't know how much uh, how successful he is. And recently, in last two three weeks, one of the major figures in uh, among Eurasianists was indicted by prosecutors claiming that he killed one of the permanent uh, professors back in 20 years ago, and which indicates that Erdogan might use those judicial cases against those Euro-Asian military officials. In fact, pro-Erdogan news media has been reporting another coup is coming and this could be a signal that he might want to remove those Eurasians uh, from the military because there was no NATO supporters in the military. So what I expect Erdogan is to get closer to NATO in next next 6 months I saw I see indicators of that but there is a big obstacles of those Eurasian bureaucrats in the military and intelligence community we'll see thank you
1: Thank you Emre. um great final answer there and I uh I really appreciate the um yeah the comprehension by which you uh you you cover it all right. So now that brings us to the, uh, the end of the interview phase. Um, and I'm very excited to hear from some of our audience. First up, I want to go to Nirvana Mahmood, who is a, a doctor and an independent uh, political commentator. Um, Nirvana, please, the floor is yours.
3: Uh, thanks. Uh, hello to Emre. It's good to connect. First of all, I want to say a quick point. Erdogan, like any Islamist, and if you grow with Islamists, you understand how they deal with things. Number one, they curse their enemy, then test the response. The problem is that Erdogan cursed the Saudi. The Saudi didn't back down. The, he cursed the Egyptian uh, leadership. They didn't back down. But the uh, Western world always blink first. The, they blink because they have a tendency to compartmentalize their problem. They focus, he understood that NATO want to focus on Sweden and Finland. So he understood that he will get a concession from that aspect. And then they will deal with Greece and Turkey and the other problem later. Uh, that's why he knew he will have concession on that front. While he knew that MBS have no intention, and as Emery rightly say, He looked for money and MBS understood that point very well. That's why Saudi Arabia didn't back down. My question to Emre, and I agree with you that uh, I, my humble prediction that Erdogan will not lose the election in 2023, but my question to you, how Erdogan will deal with those you mentioned, the Eurasian uh, generals and in, in the army who uh, are not necessarily pro-NATO, but he, Erdogan start to see them as a threat. Because the army now is in its weakest point after he purged a lot of people from the Gulenist movement after the 2016. Would Erdogan risk weakening the army more? That's my question. Thank you very much. Well,
2: uh, actually, when it comes to uh, removing them from power, and he has been doing this gradually in last few years, and he has uh, removed uh, 600 colonel from from uh, uh, from the military. I believe it was last year or, or year year before, and uh, this year, for instance, a very interesting. Step he has taken. And normal Turkey's uh, chief of staff uh, is retired at the age of 67. And the current chief of staff was supposed to retire at the age of 67. When he is retired, the, the, the general in line to be a chief of staff was a Eurasianist coming. And Erdogan was afraid of it and he passed a law and he increased the retirement age for the chief of staff from 67 to 72. So he has given this current chief of staff for additional five years, which gave him a, a room to simply remove those Eurasianist uh, generals from, uh, from, from, from military. So he's been using this law and 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 a power in the parliament and he's been uh manipulating military well uh, the the uh, unfortunately or or uh, or fortunately, maybe the, the Erdogan has uh, has has this power. As long as he has a power in in the parliament, I think he can use it against anybody. And now he start considering those Eurasians as a threat to his regime, and therefore he's been using it. And we will see. But this does this is certainly not a determined and finalized decision. He's been always open for new negotiations as the situation changes. Maybe Putin put pressure on him to keep him power. And we will see. But 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 he he has been doing this gradually. I hope this answers your question, Ewan. And by the way, good to see you again.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Nirvana. And, and thank you, Emre. Great, great discussion. Great to see people connecting uh, like that. All right. Uh, next up, um, I think we're going to go to a, a good friend I've been uh, lucky enough to meet on Twitter spaces, but Polaris. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, just had a quick question for Emre, really. Um, with regards to the situation um, in the blocked port of Odessa, um, how do you see the Turks um, being effective in brokering some sort of deal that would um, allow for the grain to be moved, Um, since there is um, a lot of pressure from both sides, both from the Russians and also from um, some members within NATO that would um, like to be a bit more aggressive on that particular issue? Um, thank you again.
2: Well, Turkey has been trying to use this as a uh, you use this as an opportunity, and uh, recently, Turkish defense minister said that Turkey wanted to make Istanbul as a major grain hub, and I think that is uh, that is what they are trying to do. Uh, one of the leverage that Putin has after this meeting uh, in in his hand is uh, is to use this and. Uh, route because he knows that turkey badly needed to do this and because erdogan is certainly going to make money it will come down to to the money again don't i see uh, also ukrainians wants to sell their grain out but uh, the devil's in the details we don't know the details what types of details that then they have it but i see uh Opportunities for Erdogan and his regime there. I think he, they can do it, and an international community needs it, especially countries like Egypt and other Middle Eastern, North African countries need the, those grains. And I think Erdogan would 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 use it; would be a benefit for his own regime.
1: Great, thanks very much for that um, sort of tactical, military based question, Polaris. Appreciate that. Um, all right, next up, I uh, want to go over to uh, to Doug, who is actually assistant director at Atlantic Council. Uh, here in DC. uh, Very keen to hear your perspective and and what your question is. So, Doug, over to
4: you. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. And it's been a a great conversation. Emre, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, obviously, the big news driving this conversation today uh, is Turkey dropping its objections to Sweden and Finland's NATO membership in exchange for concessions. Uh, There was some concern during negotiations over this that some of these concessions could result in you know the deportation of high-profile figures like one Swedish MP who's a former Kurdish Peshmerga. And I found really interesting that what eventually came out now today is, uh, I guess, a joint statement and not a formally binding treaty. And so I'm really curious on your take on you know, how does this seeming, I, I guess, flexibility in Sweden and Finland's concessions. How's that going to impact what comes next year?
2: Well, it's a great question, Doug. Uh, Well, when I read this and also uh, I read the statement, I'm sure you also have seen the Finland and and, uh, the uh, the, uh, uh, president of of Finland. Well, I think uh, they wanted to give this uh, victory uh, to Erdogan but in reality I think it's an empty promise because the documents uh, give reference to European uh, uh law and they also they've been uh, not directly recognizing the Gulenist and the YPGPYD as a terrorist, when you read it detail. And however they uh, have, uh, they mentioned the PKK as a terrorist organization, which is recognized by European Union and, and the United States. That makes sense. I think they are playing this uh, diplomacy game over there. And, and I have many friends in Sweden and journalist friends. And when I talked to them and they were not so worried about these these documents. Certain, however, Erdogan has been using this uh, as a selling point at domestic uh, to domestic audience, saying that for well, the first time, any major international agreement mentioned PYDN and, and the Gulenist FETO as a terrorist organization. But in reality, what they say is the FETO, as to, as called in Turkey. So. Uh, I don't expect this to really have a major impact on those political figures in Sweden and Finland uh, when it comes to extradition.
4: Okay. And just to put a little bit of a finer point on it in a follow-up. Do you think that this you know these concessions, it's really more of a, a giving Erdogan the domestic win that he needed without asking too much of Sweden and Finland?
2: To a degree, yes, but also what what was important is that he it was, there was a direct reference to military embargo. it was lifted and i think that's what erdoğan really cares about it and and this military embargo has a both way european uh, countries or or western countries has been at least blocking or or, or trying to limit turkey's uh, ability to sell those uh, drones and other military technologies to uh, third world countries, and uh, the, some of the key, uh, key uh, technologies was blocked to transfer, especially uh, drone development. And this is a major win for Erdogan. I think this is what he wants, and uh, this is what he got.
4: Really interesting. Thank you very much. Uh,
1: thank you, Doug, uh, and thank you, Emery, for your responses. All right, um, for the final question of this episode of Global Gambit, uh, I want to jump over to Michael, actually, who's, who's helped me co-host this inaugural Twitter Spaces recorded podcast session. So, Mike, I'd love to go to you for the final question of this episode. Uh,
5: Thank you very much, Piotr. I I have seen a a few developments uh, today, including uh, this morning, US defense officials expressed that they were open to uh, Turkish modernization of its air force. And then recently, in the last few hours, uh, Reuters put out an article saying that the Biden administration appears to be open to the sale of F 16s uh, to Turkey. At the same time, uh, they've just released a, a declaration at the Madrid summit. It was, of course, drafted by the uh, NATO members, uh, and it condemns the Russian war in Ukraine and expresses solidarity with Kiev. But I'm hearing reports that uh, it has been signed on to by Turkey as well. And so to, to the extent that ceasing to object to a session by Sweden and Finland, uh, the focus was on, was on agreement with those countries, how much do you think... Turkey was aiming to win concessions on the military front from you know, the military equipment front from the United States. And do you think that potentially this signals Turkey taking less of a neutral broker role and being more aligned in support of uh, Ukraine?
2: Well, let me start with the with, with the, the the latest part. And now I'm reading this, and uh, from from uh, the statement and Turkish media, they said that the Turkey is going to be. Uh, supporting the NATO's empowerment, take uh, positive uh, approaches. Uh, I, I'm just uh, translating in general. Uh, when it comes to Russia-Ukraine process, and which indicates that Turkey will get closer to to uh, NATO and the West, if this is correct. Of course, there are many on- other unknowns. We will see. But when it comes to military and especially uh, F-16. Deal with the United States. It was started long ago. Biden administration have uh, uh, sent a letter to Congress. It's mainly the Congress who's been blocking it to support this idea on the basis that uh, the NATO needs a stronger air defense system in the region. Yes, uh, uh, Biden administration was has been supporting this, and Turkey wanted to make sure that the Congress will not block this deal. I think this is the base, but it was specifically mentioned before the meeting. Turkey did not attach any concession when it comes to Finland and Sweden's accession to the United States. I think there was a a pre-meeting, pre-agreement before the meeting between United States and uh, Turkey to not to bring this issue as, as, as a part of concession. And there was an agreement between the between the two, uh, but it is just that, and we don't know whether uh, really the Congress, especially uh, Menendez, uh, uh, New Jersey uh, member or New, New Jersey representative, that very anti-Turkey, very anti-Erdogan uh, member, uh, would really support this idea. We'll see. But Erdogan wanted to process this because it is really. The F-16s has been deteriorating. They need, to, they need to upgrade them. And United States has been supporting this uh, with, for, with a broader perspective of NATO's uh, defence system. I, I hope this answers your question.
1: It, it does. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. And uh, Emre, thank you uh, tremendously for that. It's been a, uh, a whirlwind of an hour and uh, I think we've had some fantastic guest contributions. So thank you very much to all our live audience members as well. Uh, and if you listening in on the podcast want to do that, then be sure to join us in future Twitter space sessions. Emre, before we wrap up this episode of The Global Gambit, I just want to hear from you any final words, any thoughts you might have, any forecasting if you want to uh, go down that rabbit hole uh, about what we can should expect from Turkey in the coming days, weeks, months, uh, not just in the context of Ukraine, but um uh, you know, vis-à-vis NATO and, and broader European security. Well,
2: uh, as we speak, uh, I was as uh, when we started, uh, Biden and Erdogan's uh, meeting it was going on. As we speak, we have seen that the meeting was ended uh, in one hour ten minutes, and I did not see major uh, reporting on Turkish media yet. But uh, what I what I expect that the Biden administration has been doing a great job when it comes to convincing quote unquote Erdogan in those critical moments and I think it was a it, it was a huge victory for Biden administration to bring Turkey into this table and give li- very little and we will see Erdogan wanted to uh, desperately wanted to meet uh, Biden and finally he got it but Erdogan uh, wanted to invite Biden to Ankara or be invited to White White House, we will see whether he got it or not. But he, before the election, wanted to uh, give this picture with Biden. We will see. And we will see how much Erdogan is going to get closer to the West and how Biden administration is going to support. And I would urge everybody to read uh, what has been discussed in in this meeting, I wish there was a there was a news to share, but I did not see major news yet. But uh, yeah, Biden administration is doing great job, and I hope they will for Turkey's democracy democracy for a long run and do not really uh, appease Erdogan. When they appease Erdogan, especially in last ten years, they have been appeasing Erdogan. And Turkey's democracy has been deteriorating and I hope they stop appeasing Erdogan and support uh, democracy in Turkey.
1: Thanks, Emre, again, really appreciate it. Um, and thank you very much for, for tuning in to this episode of The Global Gambit. If you've enjoyed it, then please do give the uh, the podcast a rating. Uh, please share it with your friends and family. It really does help the, the reach of, of independent uh, podcasts. And I want to thank also the Patreon uh, supporters, uh, particularly those like Aguta Hegarty for, for making this podcast possible. And we've got many more interesting and exciting episodes coming up in these social podcast formats, be it on Clubhouse or Twitter, uh, including one um, coming up soon with the ex uh, Secretary General for Humanitarian Affairs, or OCHA, Sir Mark Locock, an extremely exciting um, one for that. And we also be hosting uh, a multitude of other guests in the coming weeks ahead, as we discuss the uh, the developments in Ukraine, but also the broader international situations and geopolitical affairs. So that's me, Piota, your host. Thank you very much for listening. Take care.
0: You were listening to the Global Gambit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, subscribe and leave us a review. We would especially appreciate it if you left a comment on why you valued this episode and what you took away from it. Doing so helps us to be discovered by new listeners who would really enjoy our content. Want to support us further? Do so by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash The Global Gambit, where you can get additional perks and even be featured in upcoming episodes. We actively invite you to follow and engage with us on social media at The Global Gambit. Got any feedback or suggestions, such as potential guests, get in touch at theglobalgambit at gmail.com. Lastly, don't be shy. Download the Clubhouse app, listen in in real time, and even participate with questions or comments to the guests and host, Piotta. But until next time, this is The Global Gambit.